and welcome to Church for the Cities podcast in Yuma, Arizona with lead pastor Tyrone P. Jones. Our mission is for people to encounter the reality and presence of God. For sermon videos and next steps, visit us at ctcfamily.com. Now join us for the message. Of God, say amen. Amen. Uh, I'm going to have you turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. We're going to read a, a group of verses there. We're in our reset series. And uh, we're talking about uh, a time, a renewal. We, we use the, the calendar, per se, to kind of uh, bring that attention to it. Many people go through different things when the new year comes and assess their life and set goals and objectives, so it seems fitting to do so. And so we're talking about renew, we're talking about refocus, we're talking about realigning, talking about resetting our life for God's purposes. The first message on this, we came out of the book of Genesis in chapter 8. And we talked about Noah, and I repeated the statement, when the script of your life changes, make an altar. Whenever you go through some changes and, or some difficulties, or God is calling you to a new arena, new setting in life, new job, new city, new relationship, new marriage, new child, or those things, set that, set that altar and go before the Lord and hear what the Lord has for you. Noah did that in Genesis chapter 8. He had a whole host of things that he was to do when he got out of the ark, uh, replenishing the earth. And with all of the things that he had to do, what Noah chose to do was start with building an altar and going before God and hearing him. Last Sunday, we talked about memorial stones. And any of these messages, of course, you can go back and watch on our YouTube channel or listen to them on the app. We talked about memorial stones, that there's times and seasons in our life where God does some amazing things. I say times and seasons. He actually does things every day. God does things. And we're living by the theme this year that consecrate yourself today because tomorrow God will do a marvelous thing. And so we're believing God does something every day. But we believe we should set, establish some more memorial stones, establish some, some markers uh, where where. where where you can recount what God has done when people ask you questions and, you know, how did this happen? Or when he, Joshua said, even when your children say, why are these stones here? Well, you can tell them it was the Lord that opened up the Jordan River and we were able to walk on dry ground. He'd done the same for us like he did for the generation before us with the Red Sea. And so the message was basically celebrating things in your life that God does. And every day there's a reason to celebrate something get some kind of ritual, get a, you know, get a, get a, a spiritual fist bump or a chest bump or something, something where you say, yay, God, for what you just did. We don't want to be the people that ask God for things and he does it. And then we go on to the next thing and forget to stop and say, thank you, Lord, for what you have done. Amen. And so today we're going to talk about uh, your compass. We're going to resetting your compass. I think most of us know what a compass is. You know, it tells you north, south, east, and west. It always gives you some direction on where north is for sure, and certainly gives you direction on where you uh, want to go. And I, I think what we need to do is, is kind of make sure that our aim is in the right direction. The things that we're believing, the things that we're practicing, that they're based on the right thing. And what the Lord has done for us so graciously, he's given us a tool, he's given us a mechanism that we know and we call the Word of God. It's, it's the Bible. Uh, that is our compass, the, the sacred scriptures. 
And the book of Nehemiah uh, is integral in this because uh, if you were here or, or heard some of the messages out of the book of Daniel, which were titled Kingdom Culture, uh, the nation of Israel, the people of God, were in exile for 70 years. Daniel's writings was during that 70 years of exile. The last message that we gave uh, was Daniel praying about the people leaving. The exile was almost done, and they were getting ready to be released to go back to Jerusalem. Well, Nehemiah actually picks up what happened when they got back. They got back to Jerusalem and parts of Israel, and they had a commission. The first thing was to, to build a wall around the city. The city was sacked, temple was sacked, wall was, was, was uh, torn down. So when the people went back, they were, first thing they were to do were to build, was to build a wall around the city. Then they were to build the temple and then begin to build uh, supporting things, homes, and etc. The reason for that was because in that day, people was constantly raiding cities. So fortify the people behind the wall first, get a safe place for everybody to be, and then build the temple because that's our spiritual community. Fortification, spiritual community, spiritual center. Well, in our passage here, where we're picking up in Nehemiah 8, chapter 6 of Nehemiah, verse 15, it lets us know that the wall was finished. The wall was finished on uh, the 25th, in the Hebrew calendar, it's the 25th day of Elul, which is, for us, would be September 2nd. So the 25th day of Elul, they finished the wall. Then Nehemiah said, I want everybody bring all the people to this outdoor place, which of course is behind the wall. The city is sacked, so it's plenty of room. Everybody comes together. And he calls for Ezra to bring the book. I titled this sermon, Bring the Book. To bring the book of the law, to read to the people what the word of God was. What's interesting about that, before I go into more details about that reading, is that it was five days later. So they, they finished the wall on the 25th of Elul. Five days later is when he called the people together, which is the first day of Tishra in the Hebrew calendar, which starts Rosh Hashanah, but also is the first day of their new year. So it would be like us coming together on January 1st to gather together to hear what God is saying. It's a lot of reason why we do reset and these kind of things at the first of the, of the year. As smart as I am, some of these ideas really do come from the Bible, uh, bringing the people together at the first day of the year to hear what the Lord uh, is saying. And so, so that's in interesting enough, but this is what I really know that Nehemiah was doing. Nehemiah realized we can build this wall and we can build that temple as we had before. But if we don't get our spiritual compass in order, we're going to be back in this mess again. He knew that was the most important thing. People needed to know how to live to please God. They needed to know what was right. They needed to know what was right thinking. They needed to know what was right practice. They needed to get things on track with their relationship with the Lord and be in fellowship. And, and so Nehemiah called the people together for that reason. And it was an outdoor thing. He called the folks together, and Ezra actually stands on a platform. Uh, I was telling the first service, I had every intention today, because this is going to be more teaching than preaching, I had every intention today of just sitting and teaching 
until I, until I would feel like a hypocrite when I read the verse where Ezra was standing to read the word, and here I am sitting teaching. So I thought, ah, I better stand up so I don't be a hypocrite. Nehemiah chapter 8. Why don't you grab your Bible and stand with me? I'm going to read 12 verses. Now, I want you to know that um, I very much honor the word. I love the word of God. I never want to disregard the word of the Lord. Uh, But there are some, in these 12 verses, there are some names in here that I cannot translate. And so when I get to those names, I'm not going to try to. I'm just going to say them, and we're just going to keep moving right along. Is that all right? We're just going to say them and they, and, uh, and we're going to get right on through it. All right. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people gathered together at the square in front of the water gate. They asked the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Israel. On the first day of the seventh month, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. While he was facing the front, the square in front of the water gate, he read out of it from daybreak until noon before the men, the women, and those who could understand. Talking about children who was of age of understanding. All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. The scribe Ezra stood on the high wooden platform made for this purpose. They stood beside them. Ezra opened the book in full view of all the people since he was elevated above everyone. As he opened it up, all the people stood up. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, with their hands uplifted. All the people said, Amen, Amen. Then they knelt low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Then they explained the law to the people as they stood in their places. They read out of the book of the law of God, translating and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was read. Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to all of them, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go and eat what is rich, drink what is sweet, and send portions to those who have nothing prepared, since today is holy to our Lord God. Do not, our God, do not grieve because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. You may be seated. That's, that's wonderful, and that, that's, uh, that's good enough. So, you know, and in, in just diving right into this expositionally, I just want to just bring out a few things that we notice about the folks when they, when they are in this place and they, they agree with Nehemiah and Ezra that they've got in that situation because of their, their uh, not following God's word and not following God's will and not following God's way. And, and so they're compelled to come together because they want to hear what the word of the Lord says. And, and so one of the things that you see with them is how much they value the word. They value the Word of God. And I, I know for us, it just seems like it's a, just a routine to tell you, you know, you need to pray, you need to read your Bible, you need to be in fellowship. But, but I, I want it to be more than just routine. I really want you to value the Word of God. I really want you to know that the Word of God is that important to our life, and it should be part of our daily doses. I'm telling you, you need the Word of God more than you need food in your, food for your body. 
You need the word of God more than you need food for your body. So I think get a good diet on both ways, a good diet of what you eat and a good diet of reading the word of God. Uh, I read this, this was in 2020, uh, but it was from 2019, the American Bible Society. They surveyed 2,013 people, and out of those 2,013 people, only 14% of them said that they read the Word of God every day. Only 14%. That's, that's, a low, uh, that's a low percentage. That's even a low percentage of the percentage of Christians in our country. So that even lets us know that that included people who... who uh, um, are not even professing, sorry, who are professing committed uh, weekly church attenders. The Bible is important. Here, here, if, if, if we as believers shun the daily reading of the Word, we are cutting ourselves off from the most vital resource that feeds our soul. We're cutting ourselves off from it, completely severing ourselves. God speaks to us uniquely through his word. And if we close our ears to it or don't open our eyes to it, then we, we, we don't have any hope of being mature believers. But there's some characteristics about them that I want to note here when they, they, how they showed their value for the word. One was unified. They, they were unified people. They assembled together as one man. They were individuals. They had their differences. They had their likes. They had their dislikes. They might have even had different political thoughts and maybe even some doctrinal things, but they stood together as one person with an appetite for the word. I, I love that about CTC, that, that we're people of different political persuasions and different cultural uh, upbringings. We come from different social economic groups, but when we come in the house of God, we all got one desire, and that's to hear what the word of the Lord says to us. It's, it's a unified thing. That's how much we value the word. But the other thing is that they were attentive. They were tentative. Ezra was staying on a, standing on a wooden platform. And just so you know, the, 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 the reason that we have wooden platform now wasn't, is, was not built just for, for a band. That's not even how it even began in churches. Ezra, the scripture lets us know that their thought, their understanding was that the word, when, the, when the word of God was being read or being proclaimed, the person who was doing so was symbolically one who stood in the place of God to bring the word of God down to us the word of God coming to us from the God of heaven. And so even when, you, when V and I travel, wh- wherever we go, I always like to go, especially in foreign countries, go to, go to old churches because they still, a lot of the older churches, even some of the churches back east, colonial times, built in the 1800s, when you go in them, you'll usually always see one place a little bit elevated above the rest, just a little round wooden uh, altar around it above everyone else, and that's where the readers would go and the minister would go to preach the word of God. Because the the idea, the concept comes from Ezra. We stand above the people and bring the word down. All of the contemporary platform stuff, that came later on. In those early days, as a matter of fact, the only one that would be in front is the one that was bringing in the word. And the choir and the singers and all that would be in the back of the building up in the the balcony. And so Ezra is standing above bringing the word, reading the word to the folks, and they're standing there with attention, with their eyes fixed on the one who's bringing them the word of God. They're being attentive. They're listening. They're also being responsive. Now, I want you to catch this. They stood on their feet from daybreak to noon 
to just hearing the reading of the word. Not sit down for 40 minutes and get antsy if the preacher goes over 45. They, they stood for at least six hours to hear the word of the Lord as a family. As a family. Don't get nervous. Don't get nervous. I'm not trying to push anything. I'm not trying to take us back to the days of Ezra. But I, I want you to catch this. They wanted to hear the word of God that much that they were willing to stand to hear what God's word said because they wanted to get their life in order. And they said, amen, not a woman. One of the silliest things I've ever heard in all of my life. Amen has nothing to do with gender at all. Nothing at all. Amen means yes, I love it. Preach it, man. I got it. It's good to me. They said amen when they hear the word. And that's why I like to hear you say Come on, somebody, because you're hearing the word. And the other thing is they were responsive. Not only read, you, you heard me read it. Not only did they say amen, but they lifted their hands. It's not just a charismatic Pentecostal thing. When you hear the word of God there, and, it, and it speaks to you, there ought to be something in you that wants to respond, either with the amen, either with the hand lift, either with the tap dance or a high five, a, a response. There's a connection between the exposition of the word and worship. When we hear the word of God, our very inside being of those of us that are connected connected to God in spirit and in truth, we hear the word, we lift up our hands, and we shout amen, amen because we're responsive people. They were also submiss submissive. They fell down in reverence. They fell down in reverence. They, were, they fell down humbly. They fell down gratefully. The, the Hebrew construction of, of that particular line or, or phrase is, is like a beggar um, just, just uh, uh, bowed down and such a gratitude for someone giving them an undeserved gift. That's how they looked at the word of God, that God has been so gracious to us and so kind to us and so loving to us that he is giving us himself through the word and that we ought to graciously and humbly receive that word. And also they were teachable. We see that in verse number eight. Because what, what happened was they did in a lot of ways like we do with our city life groups and our, our small groups, our Bible studies. They came together and heard the word as a whole. Ezra read the word. And then the Levites ran around and gathered with the people in small groups to help them understand what the word that they just heard, what it meant and how they applied to their life. That's why we put so much value on small groups. We don't have a whole lot of dialogue here with, with each other when I'm ministering and teaching and preaching or whoever's up here. But the small groups helps us to come together to learn how do I apply this word to my life. That's why we encourage small groups. Am I talking talking to the right church. There's, there's a reason for that. God wants us to grow and to, and to mature and, and to be people who know the Word of God as we see in Ephesians 4, 11 through 15. He's given gifts of men and women that's able to help us understand the Word. So they were teachable. They heard it for six hours, and then they wanted to know, how do we apply this to our life? What does this mean to us? So, so it, was, it was the value of God's Word is the first thing that, that comes out of that, that jumps out to me. The, the second thing is more the application. You see that in verses 9 uh, through 12. 
because their, their, their sins was exposed. You see that in verse number nine. Their lifestyle was, was, was uncovered, uh, not in the sense of, of, a, of, a, of a bad con, con, condemning sense, but, but the Word of God really is designed to correct us and tell us when we're not right and when we're not thinking right and when our actions have not been right. It's designed to do that. We, we want the Word of God to bring some exposure to us. I'm not talking about ex- 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 expose the folks where you're shamed and humiliated, but, but when you hear the preaching or when you read the Word of God, you want God to reveal things in you that, that, that the Lord tells you, hey, that's wrong thinking or that's wrong behavior or that's wrong action. We want our lifestyle to be confronted. We want our thinking to be confronted. We want our behavior uh, to be confronted. We don't want to stay the way that we are. We want to be better. We want to be more loving. We want to be more understanding. We want to be more uh, practical in the way that we live this Christian life. I guess in a nutshell, we want to be more and more like Jesus. And so we want the Word of God to do that, and it should do that every time we read it because the Word of God is pure and perfect, but we're impure and imperfect. So when the perfect Word and the pure Word is either read to us or we read the Word, it should confront the imperfections and the impurities in our life. That's what the Word of God is designed to do. We want it to do that. But, but it's not done that to condemn us. It's, it's, it's a conviction that comes that brings us to a place to respond to God in a manner where He will help us to be, to be better. If we hear the Word of God or the Word of God confronts us and we don't respond to the conviction in a manner that God intends for us to be better, then we're going to spiral off in condemnation. If we live with the mindset and an attitude of self-righteousness and I'm right and I can't be corrected and, and uh, you, you know, I, I'm not going to let this tell me who I am and what I need to do, you're going to spin off in condemnation and that doesn't have a good ending. But the Word of God that convicts us does, is not intent to bring us to damnation but to revive our soul to revive our soul. It's in Psalm 19, 7 and 8. Listen, it says, the instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. You see that? It doesn't say the instructions of the Lord are perfect, condemning you to hell. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The degrees of the Lord, decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, given insight for living. Can you say amen? amen? So when they heard the word and they were even brought into those small groups, they started weeping. And, and on the one hand, okay, good response. Repentance, remorse, good response. But, but, but Nehemiah did not want to send them home that way. So, so Nehemiah steps up and says, hold on now, hold on. I, I get it that you're weeping. I understand why, why you're weeping. But he says, I want, I want you to get this. This is a good day. And it's verse number 10. It says, and Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate with the feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. Watch this. This is a sacred day before our Lord. We've stood here. We've listened to the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
So basically what Nehemiah is saying is when the word has come, the, the Lord gets joy that we're receiving the word and allowing the word to change our life. And it's that joy, the joy of the Lord, that gives us the strength to respond to the word with an amen and a thanksgiving. Can you say amen? And so that's, that's the word being applied. This last thing that I want to address uh, is, 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 is the practice of the word. And I want to bring this home, and I want to bring this right down to, uh, to us. And I, I just want to jack up your thinking. I'm going to burn your grits right now. I'm going to burn them because I, I want to get all off in you. Because I think what's happened to us as a Christian community or as Christianity as a whole is, is that we have allowed ourselves to be skewed by the, 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 world, the, the views of the world and cultural and, and, uh, and, and instead of standing firm on the things that we know is right and the things that we know is right and true, we just allow that stuff to become so part of the fabric and the DNA of our life that we've drifted so far in some of the manners and how we think about things and what we, what we challenge uh, with the Word of God. In the, in the 27 years since I started CTC, there's things now that we face uh, and, and encounter and, and got to deal with and walk through and even, even pastorally, even in the church, that 27 years ago I would have never thought I would have had to have these kind of uh, conversations. When I, I, I would have never thought that, that I would have, have, have to have conversations of, of, of men uh, becoming women and women becoming men and, and, and hear the message that not only is that acceptable, but, but my tax dollars will pay for sex change operations. I, I never thought I would have to deal, that, deal with that in, in uh, 27 years. I never thought I would have to sit down with the family and, and talk to them about not giving hormone pills to your child to stunt their growth so that they can determine a period of time what gender they want to be. I, I, I thought I would never have to have those conversations or grieve with parents because their 14-year-old got an abortion without parental permission or without parental notification. I, I would have never thought I would have had to, uh, to, deal, to, to deal with that. And, and on the one hand, I, I should, I probably can say that I'm a little stunned by it, a little shocked by it, a little alarmed by it. But on the other side of the coin, Paul warned us about this. Paul warned us about that in his writing to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Listen to what he says. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will only love themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. And I don't think there's any doubt that this is, this is where we are. This is where we're living. 
And, and understand this, and you, you'll see where I'm going. Nothing about what I'm saying is designed to condemn anybody. It's not designed to be condemning. We're a church and people, we love people, we accept people. People can come into this fellowship, they can join us, they can be part of, part of who we are uh, as, a, as a spiritual community. All of us are growing and being in process of what God is doing in our life, but we will also be people that will never shun the truth. We'll never shun the truth. We'll never shun what the Word of God says. And I, I think the good pattern of that is Jesus. I think Jesus was the most politically incorrect person on the planet. I don't think Jesus dodged hot topics. And I think if Jesus was here today, he wouldn't dodge hot topics. I can certainly tell you this. I never saw in the Scripture when Jesus said something that offended somebody and they walked away, I never said Jesus saw, saw Jesus say, hey, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. I'm, I'm so sorry. I really didn't mean to offend you. I didn't want to make you walk away. I didn't want to make you upset. I, I, I still want to be friends. Maybe there's different ways I could have said that, or maybe there's a, just a misunderstanding, but I just really want to be friends. Relationship is more important. <clears throat> Never saw that in the Bible. What I do know, though, about Jesus is this. Jesus was about two things, grace and truth grace and truth. He did not sell, sell away truth to be gracious, and he did not be, sell away grace to bring forth truth. And we got to learn to be a people that's both. Share the love and the grace that the Almighty God has given us, and in that love and grace, be able to have those hard conversations with people that takes them to the truth. Am I talking to the right church? I think I lost some of y'all somewhere down the line, but I got three more hours, and that's still three hours less than Ezra, so just hang on, hang on in there. But so, so here, here, is, here is what I think we are dealing with. I'll give you two definitions, and I'll, I'm going to actually bring this to a close here, here uh, pretty quickly. Some of it comes from this whole idea of worldview, and all of us have one. Everybody has a worldview. You'll see a definition there on the screen. Everyone makes decisions on what their framework is, what, they, what their lens is of life, their experiences and the way they've been cultured, the way they've been taught, the way they've been raised up, the, what they've been told to believe. All of us make decisions from that worldview, that philosophy, that mindset. That's how we navigate our lives. And so when you see people making decisions in the manner that they do, and, and I could use several illustrations, examples. You see it on TV. You hear it in conversations. When you're talking to people and they tell you this is what they believe, they're coming from their worldview, things that have caused them to think that way. And if it's not cultured by the Word of God or, 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 or instructions or beliefs and practices from the Word of God, then their worldview obviously would clash with us. But what it leads to is this relative thinking because people want to be comfortable with their worldview. They don't want you to jack up what they believe. They don't want you to mess it up. They don't want you to upturn their apple cart. They have been believing this way for these many years. They don't want you to change it so it becomes to this relativism because they will not disagree with what the way you think is the way you think as long as you don't mess up the way I think. 
That's relative thinking. Relative thinking is truth and morality exist in relation to culture, society, historical context, and that it's not absolute. So, so in other words, there's no right way or no true story. Whatever their way is, is perfectly fine and right and true to them, and whatever your way is, is perfectly fine and right and true with them. That's why some people don't want you to bring them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because you're telling them the way you believe will not allow you to have eternal life. When we say the gospel is the only way and trusting in Jesus that you can have eternal life, and some folks will call that oppressive because now you're telling them if they don't believe that, they're condemned and damned to hell, and that's hate speech. That's oppressive thinking because it clashes with their worldview. Am I talking to the right church? I'm taking to the deep water. You better snorkel up because we're going down. But, but, but that's, that's the mindset that we're living in. And so your truth, is, your truth is fine, my truth is fine. You hear people say it all the time. Man, I'm living my truth. You live your truth. You live your truth. I'm, I'm living my truth. And, and, and they celebrate that. Man, I'm glad to see you living your truth. Because that's the way relativism, relativism leaves it. So there's no absolute truth and there's no morality for all. And if you bring morality based on the Bible or the Word of God or principles of truth into their life, then the only verse in the Bible they know is you judging me. Only verse in the Bible that they know. You can't, you can't judge me. And, and so it ends up with your truth is, is not necessarily my truth but I got my truth and my truth will remain the same. Well, let me tell you how that works in real life. Let me tell you how that works in real life. Now, I I drive a Ford Fusion. (laughs) I drive a Ford Fusion. My car of choice is a Range Rover. It's my car of choice. And I, and who knows, one of these days may have one. One of y'all may, Lord may put on your heart, y'all may give me one. Just dropping that out there prophetically in Jesus' name. But because uh, at my stage in life, I sure ain't going to no debt for no car. So just give it to me in Jesus' name. But, so, so, but now let me just tell you something. My Range Rover, my, my, my Ford Fusion is smooth. It's smooth. To me, it feels like a Range Rover. So when you, get in my, if you, when you get in my Ford Fusion and you say, man, I'm surprised. This Ford Fusion, it, 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 it's smooth. I, I'll say to you, because it feels like a Range Rover. And, and, and somebody else may get in my car and say, man, I'm just surprised at how this Ford Fusion runs. Ford Fusion? Dude, this is a Range Rover. So, no, but this is what I know. When I go to the, to the dealer to get the car fixed and he says, Tyrone Jones, your Ford Fusion is ready, no matter how many times I call it a Range Rover, it's still a Ford Fusion. So you cannot, you cannot create your own truth and tell people that it is what it's not. Am I talking to the right church? You just can't do it. And so, and so how, do we, how do we resolve this? And team, you can come. Uh, I'm just going to give you four quick things, and we're going we're gonna to sing and, and uh, dismiss you and, and, uh, and, and let, you, let you go. But four things I want you, to, want you to know about the Word of God and why we call this message, bring the book, um, uh, the compass of our life, because the Word of God is to be the authority of our life. The Word of God is to be the authority of our life 
of our life. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. You notice that. All Scripture. It's, it's God's Word. It's breathed by God. It's for, it's for us for us to be taught, for us to know what is true, for us to know what is right. It goes on to say it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. That's what the Word of God does. That's why it's the compass. It's the authority of our life. The way we think, the way we believe, the way we practice, the way we act, the way we do things, the way we operate in business, the way we operate in marriage, the way we operate in finances, the way we operate in parenting. The authority for all of that is the Word of God. Can you say amen? And, and you got to know this. This Word has stood through time and will continue to stand through time. People's relative thoughts and, and all their worldviews, that's going to come and go. But the Word of God is going nowhere. It's going nowhere. Mark 13, 31 says, heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Can you say amen? This is God's Word. Can you say amen to that? The Word of God is a guide for our life. I love this wonderful analogy that the Scripture makes. I'm not sure if analogy is the right word, but lovely uh, metaphor here. The Word is a lamp to guide my feet and the light for my path. And it's not necessarily uh, just talking about the Word of God being a lamp to our feet, but it's using the, the, a metaphorical term, the manner in which we make decisions on how we're going to go in life. The Word of God is a lamp unto my heart. The Word of God is a lamp unto my mind. The L- Word of God is a lamp unto my will. Whatever, you, whatever is used to make decisions in life, the Word of God is a lamp to it. And when you let the Word of God enlighten your mind, your heart, and your will, and you accept that, then the Word of God will set a guide out to light the direction that you, can, you should go. The Word of God is a guide for your life. Can you say amen? The Word of God is a compass for a successful life. The Word of God is a compass for a successful life. Joshua 1, 8 says, study this book of, of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Only then when we meditate on God's Word will we become the people that God has called us to be. And here's, here's the last thing. The Word of God provides joy and fruitfulness and prosperity for your life. Psalm 1, 1 through 3, all the joy of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. There's so much I could say about this verse, but, but can I just give you just one little quick tip. As a believer, there's no reason to go to unbelievers for guidance for your life. I mean, there's just no reason for that. I don't care how long they've been your friends. I don't care if it's your mama or your daddy. If they don't know the Lord and you're trying to live a life in the Lord, why go to people who don't know the Lord to get advice for your life who's trying to live for the Lord? Boy, I'm preaching now. True. Then meddled up here for 35 minutes. Now I'm preaching. It's the truth. But they delight in the law of the Lord. Meditate on it day and night. They're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. This is what it's saying. When we 
take in the Word of God, we're just like that tree that's along the riverbank. It's always producing fruit. It's always green. It's always rich. People of God, listen, the joy of the Lord, the prosperity for our life, and the fruitfulness of our life comes from the Word of God. We need to bring the book. When you got to make a decision, bring the book. When you're in a difficult place, bring the book. When you need to know what to do, bring the book. It is the compass of your life. Everybody stand if you would. We're going to pray and we're going to go into a song of worship and about three minutes we'll, we'll dismiss you. We're going to believe God to give you a great, great day. Those of you that are off tomorrow, spend time with family and friends and just enjoy what God has provided for you. Father, I just want to thank you for giving us an opportunity to meditate and to hear and to learn from the Word of God. Great illustration with Ezra and Nehemiah great principles that we learn on what to do with this word and how it can help our life. And I pray for us as a people that we would, we would be serious about it, that we would be serious about it. We would read the word daily. For some people, it may be one or two verses. Others, it's, it's bigger doses. But Lord, let us make it a habit, a practice to, to pick up that book. If it's just reading the proverb of the day or reading a song, reading the words of Jesus, let us make us that practice to read the Bible and let it direct us and guide us. Let us get to know you and get to know you better. Father, there may be some in the house and some watching and some online with us that haven't made a commitment to follow you, no less the word, but haven't made a commitment to follow you. I pray that today, Lord God, as, they, as they're being convicted by the Spirit of God and by the Word of God, that they would come to that place right now to respond to you and say amen to God and make that declaration that today I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. I want Jesus to be Lord of my life, that they may begin that new track. So Father, all over this building, Lord, and those that are watching all over, my prayer is those that are being convinced that Jesus Christ is the Lord and they need him, that today he or she will say, yes, Jesus, I want you in my life. Father, be with us. Be with us as we go into this world, into this life, carrying the banner of Jesus Christ, living up to the, to the principles and the truth that we've learned, learned from you. Let, us, let our life and our voice be a proclamation of grace, of truth, of liberty, of freedom, and of love. In Christ's name we pray. May the people of God say amen. Now, I want the prayer folks to come if you can, prayer team, if you come. If you have a prayer need at all, whether you, uh, you want to make a confession of faith or you want to follow up on that or if you need to be baptized or if you want somebody to pray for you, maybe you're feeling ill or sick or have a challenge going on in your, in your life, there'll be some folks here that will pray with you uh, and they'll join with you. And, and if you're comfortable, come on up and, and let, the people of, let the people of God minister to you. I pray you have a great day and a great week and, and just lift up the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go out celebrating what Jesus is doing for your life and your family. Amen. God bless you.